Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. In your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is my privilege to be here today. And although you do not know me, you certainly have heard about me. My name is Cain. Don't look so surprised. I know that church is probably the last place that you would expect to see me. I've been a wanderer for a long, long time. And it seems my wandering has led me here today to give you a warning. In case you have grown deaf to the preaching of righteous men, perhaps you'll listen to the warnings of one of the wicked. Usually your preachers will call you to follow their example, but today I want to tell you my story so that you don't follow me. I am the prototype of an unbeliever. I am the perfect picture of what it means to reject God. I know my reputation precedes me. And it seems that I have made quite a name for myself since my little altercation. If you read your scriptures carefully, you'll know that my name is associated with anger and rebellion and murder. You even have a saying today about the angry, destructive person that he's just raising Cain. That's probably why none of you have named your children after me. Even in your scriptures, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, warned you guys not to follow the way of Cain. John, the disciple Jesus loved, wrote about me and told the church, Do not be like Cain, for he was of the evil one. 
a murderer who murdered his brother. Oh, I'm sure Jesus had me in mind when he preached his sermon on the mount. You remember what he said. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you that if you're even angry with your brother, you're liable to the judgment and the hell of fire. Oh, you see, I know as well as anybody that murder with the hands always begins with anger in the heart. And I was angry. Oh, I was angry. I was angry at my circumstances. I was angry at my brother. But I was mostly angry at God. Oh, but it didn't start out that way. I guess you could say that I was born into the perfect family. Literally. I mean, they used to be perfect. You see, my parents used to live in the perfect neighborhood, the Garden of Eden. My parents were literally made for each other. Handcrafted by God Himself and given a divine mandate to rule the earth together. My parents were sinless. No shame. And they used to walk around naked together in the garden. There's some things that I'm glad have changed. But you see, one day my mama was deceived by a serpent. And my daddy abdicated his role as the head of our family and passively watched as my mother took the forbidden fruit. And they both ate. And the rest is history. Man's history. My history. Your history. A downward spiral of sin leading to death. Death. That's what God promised my parents. You see, before he sent them out of the garden forever, he told my daddy that he would work by the sweat of his brow and that the earth would be cursed and that his end would be the dust from which he came. Death. Not only death, but God promised pain. Promised my mama pain, physical pain and childbirth and emotional and spiritual pain in being dominated by her husband and seeking to dominate and rule over him. Mom and dad were banished from the garden that day. But not before God covered them with animal skins. You see, they wore those skins even after my brother and I were born. Because there was no going back to the way things used to be. But that didn't stop my daddy from telling me about the good old days. He would sit me and my brother on his knee and he would tell us about how beautiful the garden was and how delicious the food was and how easily the crops would grow. And he would always remind me and my brother of how he and his wife, my mama, had forfeited it all by their sin. And so my parents were always urging me and my brother to believe the promises of God and don't give in to sin. I guess if anybody should know, it was them. But my mother told me about the day I was born. And despite all the pain that came with giving birth to me, the joy that rushed over my mama when she saw me for the first time made her forget all the pains of labor. You see, 
just like every unbeliever, I started out with hopeful beginnings. In fact, my mama's first words when I was born was this. She said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Did you know I'm the only baby in the Bible described at birth as a man? I have gotten an ish, a man with the help of the Lord. This was a big deal. You see, my daddy was made by God himself. And my mother had been made from my dad, but I was the first man to be born of a woman. It's kind of my small claim to fame that I'm the only man. I'm the first man to ever travel through the birth canal. Eve. My mama, the life giver, had given life. And there was hope. Hope for my mama and hope for my daddy that what God had promised would be true. That I would be the fulfillment of God's word. That I would be the promised seed from my mama's womb that would eventually crush the head of the serpent and destroy the works of the devil. <laughs> Boy, was, were they going to be disappointed. It seemed God was truly blessing our little family, especially after my little brother Abel was born. You see, birthday parties were always a big celebration for my parents because it was a celebration of life. Except that I never could invite anybody to my parties except my brother. But God was allowing my parents to be fruitful. He was allowing them to multiply in order to fill the earth. And it made my parents proud when both of us brothers decided to follow in daddy's footsteps. You see, it, God had told my daddy to rule over the earth. And so I became a tiller of the ground. I always liked to get my hands dirty. My brother would be a keeper of sheep having dominion over the animals. We were the perfect, happy little family. But that's where the fairy tale ends. And wouldn't you know that our first big fight started over worship? <laughs> Seems things haven't changed much today. The time had come for me and my brother to offer sacrifices to God. You see, ever since my parents had been kicked out of the garden, we had to now offer sacrifices to the Lord as part of our worship. Maybe you've never thought about this, but before the fall, my parents didn't have to offer sacrifices because they were able to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And if they wanted to speak to him, they didn't have to bring a sacrifice because they could talk to him face to face. But sin had separated us and God had to cover my parents with animal skins, setting a pattern for how we would have to approach God in the future. You see, we had to be covered by the death of another. Worship required a sacrifice now. And so my brother and I had to give back to God some of the fruit of our labor. So I brought some of my crops. And he brought one of his lambs. The problem is that my brother and I viewed worship very, very differently. You see, I watched as my brother that day looked at all of his flock. And he looked at the sheep that he actually cared about it seemed like they were more than animals to him these were the ones he protected it's as if god was somehow trying to imitate or abel was trying to imitate god in the way that he protected his sheep as if god himself was our shepherd and so abel 
He picked out a lamb, but not just any lamb. He picked out his favorite lamb. He picked out the firstborn lamb. The fat one. And he didn't just give God the lamb. You're not going to believe this, but he, he gave them the fat portions. I don't know if you've ever eaten the fat part of a lamb, but it is by far the best part. And he was willing to give that part to God. And I asked him about it. I said, brother, what are you doing? And he said something about he wanted to give the Lord his best. Well, that's when I looked down at my basket of fruit and vegetables. Some of my bananas were turning brown. Half of my apples were bruised. Probably because I had picked them up from the ground. Because I figured if I can't eat them, then surely God would understand. We wouldn't want those to go to waste. My carrots were small. My turnips were rotten. And my brother had the audacity to look into my basket and accuse me of giving the Lord my leftovers. I couldn't deny it. He was right. He had withheld nothing while I was holding back. But but why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I hold back on God when he was clearly holding back on me? Maybe the serpent was right. Why should I be punished for the sins of my parents? Why did I have to grow up outside the Garden of Eden? I didn't choose to be born into these circumstances. Why should I have to work untilled soil by the sweat of my brow because God cursed my father? I watched my mama scream in agony when my brother was born. Did she really deserve that? And now my brother's bringing an offering out of faith, out of love toward God. But I brought mine out of a sense of pure obligation. And don't look at me like you're any better. I've seen some of your faces when you when the offering plate gets passed around. I've seen your faces when you sing. Don't act like you never come to worship and just go through the motions. I did what was expected of me. But my heart was far from the Lord. And the worst part is I didn't care. But what made me even more angry. Is when the Lord accepted Abel and his offering. But he rejected me and mine. Which obviously meant to me that the kind of offering wasn't as important as the attitude of our hearts. He didn't just accept Abel's offering. He accepted Abel. And he didn't just reject what I gave him. He was rejecting me. And I guess this is where my unbelief was rooted. You see, I was angry at God's approval of someone more faithful than me. Oh, I wasn't just angry at my brother. I was angry at God. And my anger at God caused me to resent my brother. My jealousy of Abel was rooted in my deeper hatred for God and his expectations. I saw Abel's faithfulness and the only thing it did for me was it pointed out my rebellion. This is why your Apostle John was right when he wrote about my evil intentions. He said, we should not be like Cain because he was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 
Let me tell you, the world will hate you because they have followed my lead. I hated my righteous brother because God's acceptance of him only pointed out my condemnation. And it must have been obvious because the anger in my heart was plastered all over my face. I learned something that day about worship. You might can fool your brother in worship, but God cannot be fooled. And he can look right past your fake face and see the intentions of your heart. And God was unwilling to let me stay that way without confronting me about it. You might call that confrontation loving or conviction or merciful, but I call it intruding. He wasn't willing to mind his own business. No. He had to bother me. I guess this is another sign of unbelief. You see, people like me, we not only hate God's approval of the righteous, but we ignore all of God's warnings against sin. And so the Lord asked me, Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? As if he didn't already know. You see, it was ultimately his fault that I was angry in the first place. Or at least that's what I was telling myself. See, I'm really good at convincing myself of things. And so God tried to talk me off the cliff. I was, according to him, on the, the very edge of the pit of hell. And he was trying to talk me back. And he said, Cain, if you do well, if you act faithfully like your brother, you'll be accepted Oh, but I didn't want his acceptance. I don't want his approval. The only approval I needed was mine. So he tried to warn me. He tried to warn me that I was in a dangerous position. And he used the same word that he used for my mama, that word desire. He said, Cain, the same way that your mama's desire will be to rule over your husband, sin has a desire to rule over you and is crouching at the door waiting to pounce. Sin's desire was to rule over my heart. And if I did what was right, I could have mastery over my sin. But I didn't want mastery over sin. I didn't care if sin overwhelmed me because I was already overwhelmed with anger. And I was so calloused at the Lord for rejecting me that there wasn't anything he could do to change my mind. Oh, make no mistake about it. You think my parents messed up. That's the big difference between me and my parents. My mama had to be talked into sin by a snake, but not even God himself was going to talk me out of it. And so no sooner had God finally finished speaking to me, I immediately planned my attack. And since I couldn't attack God himself, I would have to attack the next closest thing. I would attack someone who bore his image. And by attacking the image of God, I could attack God himself. Oh, this was calculated and premeditated. And we didn't have any guns or weapons Back then, we never had need for any of those things. Oh no, I was going to have to kill Abel with my bare hands. No worries, I, I was used to getting my hands dirty. And so reckless and filled with rage, I told Abel, come meet me out in the field. I want to show you something. My brother never suspected a thing. 
You see, just as sin had crouched at my heart's door, I crouched in the bushes waiting to pounce on him. And before he knew what hit him, he was gone. My brother had become the first man in history to die. And I had become the first murderer. I looked at my brother, his lifeless body, in the middle of a field, blood splattered all over the ground. And it's strange that I felt nothing. I'd killed my own brother, and yet the promise of vengeance had left me empty on the inside. It was as if part of me had died as well. I was so hardened and and angry that my heart felt numb. It's just like what my parents had told me the day they first ate of that fruit. An empty promise, unfulfilled. It wasn't until God spoke to me that I snapped out of it. Cain! Where's Abel, your brother? I guess you've noticed by now that God doesn't ask questions he doesn't already know the answer to. Oh, he wasn't asking for information. This was interrogation. Oh, God was seeking a confession from me, much like he had sought a confession from my parents. Adam, where are you? Cain? Where's your brother? The only difference is my daddy told the truth. Sort of. But I did what every unbeliever does. I denied responsibility for my sin. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, my brother is a keeper of sheep. Is my brother a sheep that I should have to watch over him? Now, the obvious answer to this question is, yes, I was my brother's keeper. But in my spiritual blindness, I was convinced that I was not responsible for my brother's well-being. I had ignored the fact that for any nation or for any family, for that matter, to survive, people must be responsible for the well-being of one another. Oh, the words of your apostle John kept echoing in my head even to this day. Don't follow the way of Cain. But instead, love one another. You know that you've passed from death to life because you love the brothers. And whoever does not love abides in death. And whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This was my destiny. I was a murderer. That was me. Far from eternal life. I had failed to love my brother. And my anger towards him had led to his death and to my condemnation. Oh, I wasn't just a sinner because of my actions. I was a sinner because of my attitude. 
Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord didn't even respond to my defiance. He ignored me. And he said, what have you done, Cain? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. My brother was a tattletale even in death. His blood is crying to me. Oh, you have a, you've heard this before if you've read your scriptures. The writer of Hebrews in your Bible spoke of this when he said, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Through which Abel was commended as righteous. And God commended him by accepting his gifts. And though he is dead by faith, he still speaks. I denied the murder, but I could not deny the voice of my brother's blood crying out against me. Abel was still speaking, even in death. But what cut to my heart the deepest was not that I had sinned against God alone, but God said, you have sinned and it's crying out to me, Cain. You've sinned against me. Your psalmist was telling the truth when he said that the righteous will be remembered forever, even in death. I guess God could tell that he wasn't going to get a confession from me anytime soon. So he quickly moves from accusation to judgment. And he told me this. He said, Cain, when you work the ground from now on, it will no longer yield to you its strength. Cain, for the rest of your life, you're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. What? Did you hear that? Not only was the ground going to be cursed, but now the curse had moved from the ground to my heart. Oh, I was truly following in my father's footsteps, banished from God and all of his good blessings. And now my life had begun in the, and I had been born in the presence of the Lord. And now I was being cast out of his presence. Not to mention that I would be a wanderer. The reason I had to wander is because I couldn't. Find food because the ground no longer worked for me. I was forced to wander the earth just to try to find something to eat. And so I moved further away from Eden to a land called Nod. Known as the land of wanderings. This is the direction all sinners go. A place where you're always going but you never arrive. Always moving but never home. And yet, even in God's just punishment against my sin, I showed my true character by complaining that God was too severe. This was the final stage in my unbelief, protesting the punishment for sin. How dare God hold me accountable for my rebellion against His law? And so I told Him, God, my punishment is too great to bear. You've driven me away from the ground and from your face I will be hidden. God, people will kill me. They will get vengeance on me when they see me. They will know what I did. I'll be a fugitive and a wanderer. And whoever finds me will kill me. (laughs) Don't be fooled by my false sense of remorse. I wasn't really sorry for what I had done. I was only sorry that I was being punished. The only person I was really concerned for was myself. This complaint was self-preservation. 
Oh, this was not, as your scriptures say, a godly grief producing repentance that would lead to salvation. Oh no, this was worldly grief that only produces death. A sorrow that does not lead to true repentance. I feared God in terror, not out of love. Oh, I was a wolf and I was afraid that I was going to be devoured. And yet, even in my outright rebellion, God showed me one last act of grace. It's as if he doesn't let sinners alone to prevent anybody from rising up to kill me out of vengeance. He put a mark to protect me. Oh, make no mistake, this was common grace. This is not saving grace. I was still condemned. Even in my guilt, though, God was protecting me for a time. And this is true of anyone who follows the way of Cain, any unbeliever. God should have killed me immediately in the garden that day, and yet He let me live. And He does it with millions, even today, who rightly deserve His wrath. Allowing the world to continue in sin while God appears to bless them in their rebellion. It seems as if the wicked prosper as God allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But that's why I'm here. To warn you not to be deceived. This season of peace that God is allowing sin to go unpunished, it will not last forever. There will be a day of reckoning. So please hear my warning. If you have come here seeking to worship God. Seek to please Him by faith through love. So that you don't allow sin to work its destruction in your life. Don't let anybody here today say when you're tempted. That I am being tempted by God. Because God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither does He tempt anyone. But each of you are tempted when you are lured and enticed by your own desire. And when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. And while that may seem strange coming from me, I can tell you truly that the wages of sin is death. And separation from God's presence. But what I did not know that at that moment there in Eden was that eternal life was being offered to me as a gift. And it was being foreshadowed even in the death of my own brother, the keeper of sheep. What I didn't know was that there would be another shepherd one day to come along, long after me. Who would willingly subject himself to the hands of evil men. A shepherd who was willingly lay down his life for his own sheep, murdered at the hands of wicked men who unwillingly accomplished the perfect plan of God to save sinners. A shepherd who would not murder his brother like me, but who would willingly lay down his life for his friends. Oh, your scriptures say it best in Hebrews that this Jesus, a mediator of a new covenant, that his sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of my brother Abel continues to speak to this day, but do not be deceived. Even the blood of a righteous man can only speak accusation and condemnation. But the blood of Christ alone speaks a better word. He speaks to you forgiveness and cleansing. Not of accusation and condemnation, but a word of justification and eternal life. A word of freedom and grace and healing. 
And so I've come to reason with you today. Listen to someone who doesn't come from the light, but comes from darkness. I've come to reason. Do not follow the way of Cain, but follow the way of Christ. Let us reason together that through His blood, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Not what these hands have done can save this guilty soul. Not what this toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me a peace with God. Not all my prayers and my sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy grace alone, O God, to me can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this sore bondage break. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give you peace within.